Welcome to episode 168 of the CU Insight Experience. I'm Randy Smith, one of the co-founders of CUinsight.com, and this show is all about taking a deep dive with the leaders of the credit union movement that make it so great. This episode is brought to you by our friends at PSCU, the nation's premier payments CUSO and an integrated financial technology service solutions provider. Visit PSCU.com to learn more and discover PSCU TV, a new thought leadership platform hosted by PSCU chief growth officer and an all around great guy, Brian Scott. Each episode explores top of mind insights from around the credit union industry. Today, I could not be more excited. I'm having a conversation with my friend, Heather McKissick. Heather is the New president and CEO of Q's, one of our uh, longtime friends and supporters of CU Insight. So let's just jump right in. Heather, my friend, welcome to the show and congratulations. Yay, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you and have this conversation. I know when I when I have a friend on the show, I'm always have to worry about going down too many rabbit holes. So I will try my best for the listeners because you and I had a shared experience recently in Africa. You were one of the mentors when I went through African DE. So we may hit on that and why you and I both share that. I think the view that you know being involved globally is beneficial for our, our space. But first, for, for folks that don't know you, a little bit of background. Where'd your career start and, and, and how did it lead you to, to where you are? Let's, let's just start with to credit unions in general, even before getting to queues. Well, that's great. Well, my career started actually in higher education. So I was, after graduate school, a faculty member and a member of the administration for my alma mater, which is uh, St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas. And so that was really exciting for me to get to go back where I was a student to teach and, you know, even sat in faculty meetings with some of my former professors, that kind of thing. Love that. So I started in higher education. And I'll tell you, I loved it. I loved the learning process. I loved working with the students. I loved grappling with the subject matter and trying to make it exciting to teach. And I hated the paper grading. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing for me, I loved the learning part. I loved the teaching part. And maybe anybody that's ever been an educator can relate. The grading part really bogged me down. So I made a switch and I went from higher education to training and development. And that was like the first big job jump for me where I started teaching, but in a corporate setting. Actually, that was my first cooperative. I worked for a river authority and I basically led their training and development department. From there, it started to evolve. I started um, moving out of training and development and into organizational development. I worked for a major not-for-profit healthcare system, one of the nation's largest, actually, running organizational development for them. I went from that to leadership and community development when I was CEO of a not-for-profit called Leadership Austin, which is part of a national network of nonprofits that trains civic and community leaders. So one of the through lines here is all my jobs, all my whole career 
I didn't start it out this way. It just so happens that it was all mission-driven organizations, right? All nonprofits or not-for-profits of one kind or another. And so I, at that moment in my career, was invited by someone I knew from Leadership Boston to look at an opportunity at a credit union, at my former credit union, uh, UFCU in Austin, Texas. And like so many people, I had no idea. I had no idea about credit unions. And I, as I got closer and closer to that opportunity, I just couldn't believe it. I felt like I had, you know, found my people yet again. So I, you know, very fortunately came on board at UFCU. I spent almost 10 years there in a variety of different executive level roles, culminating in uh, my job as executive vice president for that institution. So I hope you can hear the through line. You know, I can see it, but I feel honestly, Randy, like every single thing I have done up until now has led me to this moment. And, you know, I am just so excited to work together with the amazing team at Q's because to me, it's a combination of all of the above. You could definitely see the through line there that, that, that led you. So talk to me a little bit about the opportunity comes up to become the Q's CEO. What, what went into your decision making, I guess, to pursue it, let's just say? Well, I think, you know, there's a wide variety of things. Number one, what a strong brand Q's has when it comes to all of the things that I just talked about, leadership, development, education in the movement Right. High quality experiences for credit union professionals, all of these things mean a lot to me. I've got a great deal of experience in those spaces. And so I was, of course, attracted first by the already stellar brand that Q's had when it comes to those educational experiences. In addition to that, it's a great team with a highly energized board And I could see and hear from the very first conversation that I had, the support for the organization at all levels, what a great organizational culture that it has, and nobody was happy resting on their laurels. Everybody here is excited about building for the future. And that is really what energized me. What an opportunity to come and stand on such a strong foundation. And I think it's really important for me to mention my predecessor, John Pembroke, and how, um, what an amazing leadership legacy that he left here. What a privilege to get to come in, stand on that foundation, and have 360 degree support to make things even better. Yeah, John, John was a great guy, a, a past guest on the show. I always loved conversations with him, even though he was a Bears fan. I'm a Lions fan. We we, we always had a good time with each other on that. So <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, let me ask you this question. Since you're, you, you just mentioned, you're fairly new, right, to the gig. For the people out there, a lot of folks who listen to this show or maybe sitting in the position that you were just a few months back, where you're looking at a, you're ready for the CEO opportunity in credit union land. Any words of advice, tips for that credit union executive who is looking at, taking that step right now? 
Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And for me, having been the CEO of a, a not-for-profit in the past, I can tell you one thing, every CEO opportunity is different, right? Just because we think we've done it before doesn't mean, what's that classic thing? What got me here won't get me there. All right. Yep. Right. Yep. So I think it was just really important for me to deeply evaluate uh, what the mission and the purpose of cues is and make sure that there was a really good strong alignment for me between my background and my experience and my vision and its purpose like so many of us i think think oh i've got the skills i can plug and play those skills anywhere and be successful and i'm not certain i believe that i think at the level of a ceo you have to be very clear that there is alignment between who you are what you can do, and what the mission and vision of that organization is. Absolutely. So that is a big part of what my process was, is really making sure that there was a good fit from my perspective, not just from the perspective of the organization in the hiring process. I think also, you know, for me at this stage, being a, a female leader, being the first female CEO for Q's, everywhere I am in my life, I wanted to make sure that this opportunity represented for me a way to really live into that, to not have to hide or conceal or pretend that I was anybody other than who I really am. And I'm not trying to suggest that I had to do that in previous roles, but I think that that is the experience that a lot of female CEOs, unfortunately, still have. And transparency for me is a really important part of leadership. And so I wanted to make sure that I could step in someplace and be my full self from day one. And I know that's always a gamble, but so far, so good. (laughs) (laughs) I feel feel very, very grateful for the reception that I have received. I love that. Jill talks a lot about bringing your being able to bring your whole self to work, right? So uh, not having to change who you are. That's exactly it. Right. And you know, at the World Council Conference recently, there was a, an excellent speaker and I'm, oh, golly, now I should remember her name. I wasn't expecting to invoke her. I can look it up. But she made a point where she said that there has been up until now, you know, life balance would suggest that you bring your whole self to work. But being in a position of leadership also suggests that you bring your best self to work. And so to me, those two things are really important. Like that's that kind of synergy that I'm talking about. I want to bring my whole self to work, but I also have to make sure that I'm showing up as my best self in this kind of leadership position. So that really, I think, puts that much more emphasis on transparency and balance and just making the most out of every day in a holistic sense, you know, in every possible way. Let me ask you a a big picture question, and I'm going to ask it to you from kind of both sides of the coin here, since you're kind of going to be educating a whole heck of a lot of current leaders and future leaders over the next few years So, um, (laughs) in our movement. So you you got an important role there, and I know you have an awesome team around you. What what do you see as the biggest challenge? We'll start negative, facing credit unions today. And then on the flip side, what has you most excited? I think 
one of the biggest challenges is the imperative that most credit unions feel to compete and to remain viable for their memberships in the face of really so many unprecedented circumstances, right? So we know that credit unions every day are doing everything that they can to serve their members well and to remain viable in the face of competition. And I'm not talking about competition with other credit unions. I'm talking about the financial institution landscape that continues to uh, change and in some ways outpace many credit unions. And that I know is a concern. How do we remain viable for our memberships, remain relevant for our memberships, grow appropriately and still stay centered on our members? That obviously, is a major concern for everybody involved. The the challenge that I want to get to about that is that as we continue to focus on growth and relevance and being competitive in the marketplace, sometimes it can also be easier to lose sight of the membership or lose sight of the mission and the ultimate drive around people helping people. It can be very easy to get into a mindset that is growth for growth's sake and um, leave that core mission, that ultimate not-for-profit motive behind or let it get compromised by that focus on growth. So to me, the big conundrum, right, for all of us, and I know I'm not telling you anything you haven't already heard, is how do we maintain that appropriate balance between remaining member-centric and letting those members drive everything we do and how we do it, and keeping the lights on and driving the margin that will sustain the mission over time. Absolutely. I love the answer. What has you most excited? What are you geeked up about? Well, I mean, that, that whole thing right there, because in my view, credit unions are unlike any other animal ever. And I mean, you and I have been to, to Botswana and we've seen a wide variety Absolutely. of beasts. Of, <laughs> of uh, you know, credit unions are unlike any other entity, I think, and not just in the financial industry, but in the world. We have the ability to make a direct, tangible difference in the lives of people, right, in two ways, in intangible ways, ways that help them achieve their dreams, ways that are supportive of who they are as people and the communities where they live. And at the same time, we are also contributing very tangibly to the bottom line of their household, and we're helping them build that financial future as well. What organization do you know that can do that? 
that can have that kind of impact on people and families and therefore communities like credit unions can. So it's that balance, right? For me, it's the fact that we are social justice organizations that are focused on financial well-being. That right there is what excites me the most. I think the movement is a remarkable movement, and I am just so grateful to be able to help it advance and grow through its leadership. I love it. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about mentors. When you think about your path, you mentioned earlier that like your kind of your first exposure to credit unions was somebody maybe wasn't a mentor, but it was somebody like, hey, maybe you should look at this. Have you had formal mentors in your time? Or I mean, when you when you hear the word mentor and you think personally, I guess there you like does someone pop up in your mind and like what benefit have they been to you? And on the flip side, I think even like in the position that you're in, like how can you give back and maybe that mentorship role. And then also within your organization, a lot of people come through Q's events and Q's programs. What does that look like? You know, I guess, or how do you feel about mentoring to bring, help bring along that next generation that, that I loved your word viable, that keeps us all, keeps this movement viable in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel super lucky. I've had so many amazing mentors over the course of my life and career Um, And I will say that those have ranged from um, bosses, former employees, to colleagues, to, you know, people who are far younger than I. So one of the things that I think is really important to, to mention when you're talking about mentorship is I think mentorship is just all about... Um, tapping into someone's wisdom and knowledge and the relationship that you have that can help you mutually advance, right? So I don't think a mentor has to be some kind of sage on the stage figure. I mean, a lot of my mentors are people who are, you know, decades younger than me, but that's really helpful because they help keep me viable (laughs) and, you know, help keep me up to date. So yes, I've had tons of of mentors and what have they done for me? They've helped me look in the mirror in a, um, a compassionate way. You know, they've helped me identify not just what my opportunities are, but they've helped me gently see my own blind spots and how it is that I can address those blind spots in a way that still helps me meet my goals and doesn't, you know, doesn't self-sabotage or whatever the right you know way to think about that is. So I think mentoring is a critical part of anybody's personal growth, but also professional development. You just answered my next question, basically. I was going to ask you about oh, yeah. like the, the, the people or person who, let's say, I don't think speaks truth to power, right? But like so often, if we talk to somebody about an issue we're having or whatever, we just get the, uh, no, you're great. Yes, you're smart. Yes, that's an amazing idea. But sometimes you need the person who's like, what are you thinking? Tell me more. Why? (laughs) You know, like, have you thought about this? Do you have those folks in your life that will kind of call you out? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Challenge me, Yes, right? And give me that kind of, you know, frank and open reflection and redirection 
you know, and I think that has been of, of great value to me. I think the people that, you know, leap to mind um, in terms of my credit union career that have really helped me along the way. I mean, first and foremost are, you know, my my former uh, bosses at uh, UFCU, people like Tony Boudet, who is such a, a leader in his own right in credit unions. Um, Tony has an amazing way of um, creating an environment of safety and respect and yet still helping you explore your own strengths and deficits in a way that, you know, meets both your own goals and the organization's. I've had people on the flip side, like our mutual friend, uh, Lois Kitch from CU Difference, who has a very different approach to mentoring, but who can also very gently guide you when she sees that you're going in the right direction and uh, really encourages you to use your strengths to the maximum. So two very different personas, uh, but also two very strong mentors in my life that have really helped me. One of the things I still love about doing this podcast now five years in is the, I get to just pick people's brains. Sometimes they're scratch my own itch questions, right? And I heard this question at the end of last year on another podcast outside of our industry, but it was the, the question of, if you, if you were to just stop and think for a minute, what's the greatest investment that you've made in your career. And I'll give you an example because right? I thought the example was, was a good one because maybe it helps, uh, helps us think. Warren Buffett said it was Dale Carnegie courses. Is there something that pops into your mind that you're like, yeah, that really, that helped? Hmm. Well, you know, when it comes to investment, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think now you've got me thinking about what have I, what have I spent money on? You know, I know it's about more than just that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that for me, in terms of my career, I have worked across six different industry sectors at this point in my career. Okay. So I've been involved in government. I've been involved in an electric cooperative. I've been in healthcare. I've been in nonprofit leadership development. I worked in semiconductor for a while. I'm uh, now in uh, financial services. Okay, so six different industry sectors. And the one thing that has consistently served me over the course of that has been my um, communication skills. And so from interpersonal communication, frankly, knowing how to write and write well, knowing how to edit Knowing how to coach other people in how to write and edit, knowing how to speak in public, knowing how to communicate well in small groups as well as large groups. So, you know, over the course of time, I've made a real investment in my communication skills because those are skills that cut across whatever industry right? Whatever job, whatever institution you might be working in, those skills are universal and they have served me well. So when it comes to what's the best investment, I think that I have made, I've been an executive in financial services now for almost a decade. 
And I'm a word person. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you probably relate to that, Randy. But, you know, sometimes that feels counterintuitive. It doesn't mean that I don't know numbers or use numbers or that I can't. But what it does mean is that I focused first on that connection that you can make with others through the power of dialogue, be it written or verbal. And that, I think, is an investment that is worth making for anybody, wherever they work, at whatever level. I think that's an important one. And I think that, oh, not to sound like the old guy, but I think it's kind of being lost a little bit with uh, the way we communicate sometimes today. So to focus on that, I couldn't agree with you more. This kind of leads right into it because my guess is uh, communication is going to play a a big part in your answer here too. (laughs) But let's talk about building a leadership team. We talk a lot about corporate culture and the culture of our organizations, um, probably even more so in my house since uh, Jill's in the people business. But you know, if we're taking that back to the beginning, when you're looking at your team or you're building out a team, what are you trying to find? Are there characteristics that you look for? What plays into your the, the decision making process for you as a leader? And you know, very briefly on the flip side. Is there something that is just a no-go? You hear somebody say something in an interview and you're like, uh-uh, <laughs> they won't fit here. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's that's really good. You know, for a learning organization like Q's, right? And you can, I think you can define learning organization in two different ways, right? Q's is an organization that focuses on the learning of others uh, that works diligently on leadership development and It is also a learning organization, right? In other words, a learning organization is one that learns from its experiences and um, either advances or not (laughs) as a result of what they do with those learnings, right? So if I am the leader of a learning organization, then one of the most important things to me is a team, and that's collectively and individually, that understands the value of learning, that is open to it, and that can apply what it learns. Okay, So if you are going to be on my leadership team, I want to know that, yes, you're experienced, and yes, you're a subject matter expert, and you might have tons of credibility in your space, but, and... I also want to know that you're willing to set all of that aside and learn new things and help advance the organization to stay relevant and keep up with the times. And so to me, that is really important. So what's on the flip side of that? Somebody who thinks they already know it all. Somebody who thinks that everything they have done is everything they will always and forever have done and will never do anything else somebody who thinks that they um, don't have anything left to learn, that concerns me. And I'm not just talking about uh, job candidates. I'm, I'm just talking about in, in my life. I, I want to surround myself with people who will remind me that it's okay to make mistakes. You know, it's okay to evolve. It's okay to let go of what I thought so that I can make room for new thoughts and make wherever it is that we're all working or just in general, the world a better place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You've been a CEO. You are a CEO. You've worked with a lot of great CEOs. What makes a good CEO or a great leader in general? 
I'll take a little step back here. I asked this question because I think we grew up in the same time. Many of the business books and things that we read back in the day, some of that stuff hasn't really uh, aged well, let's just say. <laughs> some of it still has. There's still great knowledge you could take. So that idea of like, it's 2023. What makes a great leader today? Mm, well, I will tell you, and I guess that's why you're asking. I'll tell you my opinion. That's right. <laughs> I think, honestly, collaborative, facilitative leadership is a requirement now. And I think you see that even in the most unexpected places, right? But you know, even, uh, for example, we just did a, a leadership transition meeting here with my new leadership team, which is a practice that was actually started by the U.S. Navy. So the U.S. Navy is not necessarily a place where you would think collaborative, facilitative leadership is valued, right? In the military, you'd think it's, it's largely command and control. Yep. But the purpose of this meeting was to get everybody together early on to accelerate the onboarding process, but to set the tone of candor and transparency and respect and openness from day one. So the team asked me all kinds of questions. I was an open book. They asked me, you know, they told me what they already knew. They told me what they wanted to know that they didn't already know. They told me what I needed to know about them. They told me kind of what some of the concerns or challenges that they have had and what they think the concerns and challenges are going forward. And they also told me what their hopes are for the future and for my tenure as CEO. And so in a day, Randy, <laughs> I'm not saying that we went super deep on all those topics, but the point is this. For me, that first in-person meeting with my new executive team was an exercise in beginning as I intend to go on, which is a collaborative, open, facilitative place where a leader is there to serve as well as to guide. And so that, I think, for me, is about what makes an excellent CEO, no matter what industry you are in. If you are there to take the helm, you'd better have one ear to the ground. And that's, you know, that's my experience so far of the leaders that I have the most respect for and the ones that have motivated me the most have been the ones who have listened first and taken my opinion and the opinions of the group under advisement. People will support what they have helped to create. So the only way to get that support is to involve them in the creation. Absolutely. I have a question for you. This is from the other side, you know, the, the CEO position. You're part of a team, obviously, in the day-to-day -day operations of Qs, but the buck does still stop with you. And then you have a board, a bunch of bosses above you. So you, you sit in that space. And I know it's kind of been an interesting thing as we've gotten older, like as, as many fr more friends have become CEOs, often that the you've been one in the past. So this might not be as much of a surprise for you. But even though they were in senior 
senior level positions, they like their true understanding of uh, the board relationship was was often a bit of a surprise, you know, even if they went to board meetings. So any advice or as, as you're moving in, has anybody given you advice on board relations? <laughs> you know, yes, I, I did receive some great advice about that, which was just like a, a leadership team or an executive team is a group, a team, it's comprised of individuals. And so I would never try to be the CEO of a team and only ever meet with them as a group. I would also develop individual relationships with those uh, executive team members, right? And, and learn what motivates them and what their priorities are. And then it's my job to synthesize that, right? And advance the team as a whole. And so the advice that I got related to board relations was very similar. Remember that the board is not only a group. The board is a collection of individuals and they each have their own motives and their own passion and their own reasons for being a volunteer in the organization. And so make sure that you get to know them individually as well before starting to form conclusions or strategies about them as a group. And I think that's excellent advice. Absolutely. And I think 160 some episodes in, that's the, the first time that's been mentioned. That's pretty, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> I hope that's the good news. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love that. Just a couple more questions here before we get to the rapid fire questions. I, I knew I was going to have a problem with this and we'd be able to talk for a long time. No problem. No problem. I've got the time. Uh, I'm, I'm watching it. So, um, <laughs> so an interesting thing, you know, many people over you and I in our careers, in, and you know, you've mentioned your time in financial services for a long time. People didn't think things like remote work were viable, doable, anything. And then all of a sudden we've figured out it was. And now there's some version of whatever that happens to look like for everybody. But my question is, what do you think that 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 next group that's coming out of, say, college right now or they're just into their career? What does a career in credit unions look like going forward? Ooh, that's such a great question. You know, I was part of a conversation with a group of emerging leaders not long ago. And one of them said something that, that concerned me and scared me for the future. And, um, and that was that her family didn't like that she went to work for a credit union because her family thought that that was old school, that were not a lot of opportunities, that it was going to be a dead-end job. And it's because they didn't understand credit unions. I was surprised to hear that because my perception and the, the stories I hear from all of the credit union young professionals right now is that a future career in credit unions is impossibly exciting. Because credit unions offer every possible career path available to people, right? You don't have to be an accountant, right? You don't have to be a teller. You can be. But there are HR people. There are facilities people. There are IT people. There are marketing people. There are, are people who do everything that work in the credit union movement, in the credit union systems, not just in credit unions proper. So working in credit unions 
is a career opportunity for people all across all different disciplines. But here's the thing I think that's really exciting for young professionals. People now, especially young professionals, they want to know that the place where they work connects with their values as humans. And where better can you match, right, that um, passion for my community or my desire to do good and give back with a viable, forward-thinking, lucrative, professional opportunity, right? Those two things, again, coexist within credit unions. And again, I don't know what other industry can say that, Randy. How, how many other places can you work that will give you the opportunity to do anything that you want to do and make a living at it and grow professionally and just by showing up every day, give back. That's a, a beautiful movement, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons that for me, I was in credit unions for a while before I went through DE and I, I had the pleasure of going through with Lois, who led my class. And like it connected those dots that I had a hard time explaining before, right? Like that idea of like, this is different than my, my past was not in credit unions. You know, uh, I've been in credit unions 15 years yeah. now. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, that's a, it's a wild thing. So I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Now let's have a little bit of fun with the rapid fire questions. It wouldn't be the see you insight experience without them. And just as a reminder, the questions are rapid. Your answers don't have to be. You f- feel free to talk as long as you like. So what was the first job you ever had? Very first. Oh, no. Oh, do I really have to say? <laughs> okay. So the first job that I ever had was delivering balloonograms. Awesome. <laughs> now, you know, some people that are listening to this, Randy, might not even remember or know what a balloonogram is, but it was kind of like the equivalent of singing telegrams uh, back yes. in the day. Amazing. You would show up with a handful of helium balloons and sing a song for somebody's birthday or retirement or whatever. That is fantastic. That was, that was my very first job. Yeah, as a senior in high school. That would that might be one of my favorite answers then to that question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time either personally or professionally you were amazed? Oh, wow. You know what? I think there's probably an example since then, but um, this goes back to the time that you and I both spent together in Botswana. You know, it was both professional and personal amazement when I was privileged to participate in a meeting to help support the National Association of Credit Unions, for lack of a better way to say it, in Botswana, come together and form a mutual vision around where they wanted to go as a nation and how credit unions are transforming that country, not to mention that continent. I'm consistently amazed by the power of the movement, but that particular experience was truly remarkable. You know, so something I found in myself and many others that I know is that sometimes leading an organization can consume us. (laughs) You have a beautiful family. 
Any 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 hacks, life lessons along the way that you've learned to create some uh, that I'm trying to get away from the word balance, but that's what the word I'll use in life. Um. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I put together a model a while back because I, I used to get this question a lot. And for me, balance is a process. It is not a state to be achieved and maintained. And. For me, if I can remember that, it all comes out in the wash. I mean, there are times when my professional life has absolutely got to take first priority. But there are also times when my family is the first priority. Sometimes those two things compete, but I'll be honest, it's rare you know, the analogy that I like is the analogy of a, a, a mixing board. You probably have one right in front of you right now. You know, the idea that there are preset levels on a mixing board, right? And when those levels are preset, you pull down on one lever and the other one goes automatically up. And you pull up on another level and one of them goes automatically down, right? Because if you push all of those levers to the top, you're going to get nothing but noise. And so to me, this idea of, of balance is really about give and take over time. And as long as I know what my true priorities are, as long as I know what my values are and that I'm kind of living into them every day, the balance piece seems to take care of itself. I like it. What's the greatest album of all time? That one you can listen to front to back. Oh my gosh, once again, do I have to say greatest album of all time? Now that is probably a tie oh, two. between 1999 and Ghost in the Machine. Wow, nice. That's a good one. This was a question I added this year at the suggestion of uh, NCUA Chairman Harper. Who plays you in the movie biopic of your life? Oh, could that like be. <laughs> Past self, future self, or does it, it have be, to be somebody it could right be now? What do you want? It could be any any oh person. Who, who's the who's the celebrity that plays you? <laughs> Winona Ryder. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to get Liza Minnelli, but I don't think I'm going there anymore. You're not going there. Okay, <laughs> that's fantastic. Is there something you're either currently reading, or is there that book that you just think everyone should read? Okay, so the book that I'm really excited about reading is a recommendation that I just received, and it's a book called Seven and a Half Lessons About Your Brain. Seven and a half. <laughs> and the idea behind the book is kind of applied neuroscience. Like, we hear so much about left brain, right brain, unconscious, subconscious, and this book is really all about how those things show up just in daily life yep. and how knowing about them can help us in terms of our relationships and our behaviors. So that to me is interesting. I'm looking forward to diving in on that. I'll have to check that out. All right. The, the, the tough question, but the uh, last one, when you hear the word success, who's the first person that comes to mind and why? Who is the first person that comes to mind and why? Okay, that's really a great question because I would have never thought of this otherwise. But my first thought is my grandmother, 
Oh, I love this. Grandma's getting a shout out. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her name was Louise, and she lived a wonderful long life. She was 103 years oh old when she passed away. She lived in her own home all of that time and was of sound mind and body when she finally did pass away. And she had a fulfilling life because her family stayed close to her. She was a very patient, tolerant person. And back to the point we were talking about earlier about someone who knew how to learn. Even though she was 103 years old, Randy, she was always open to new ideas. That's amazing. And she, she grew with us as her grandkids. And I don't know, it's interesting that she would be the first person that leaps to mind, but that was success. She built a legacy and she kept learning. I love that so much. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's a good thank one. you for asking me that. I love that. <laughs> and so you can tell by the smile on my face. I, I love that grandma got the call there. Yeah, thank you too. I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> the, the last question I have for you, do you have any asks of our listeners or, or a final thought you'd like to share? Oh, well, thanks very much. I mean, I think the, the ask is stay tuned, but also engage, right? I mean, I'm stepping into a long history with Q's, and I think people that come to Q's programs and events are going to continue to be impressed by the quality of the education and the speakers and the experience. But I think they can also expect new things, new ways of thinking about leadership, new ways of Q's engaging in the movement through partnerships and participation in ways that Q's has not done before. So I think the ask that I have of listeners is, you know, please watch this space. Look at the website. If you're already a member of Q's, thank you. If you're curious about membership with Q's, please let us know so we can help you understand all of the great benefits now and into the future of being a part of that organization. Well, there you go. We will link to everything we talked about today and all the Q's links in the show notes as well. (laughs) And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you you so much for being here, Heather, on the show. I I look forward to our paths crossing again. I, I I know it will be at Q's symposium for sure, but I hope it's before that. <laughs> if people have additional uh, questions of you, what's the best way to find you? What's your poison? Email, LinkedIn? How do, you, how, how do you like to connect? All of the above is perfectly fine. But here's what I love. My email address is so simple. Heather at Q's, C-U-E-S dot O-R-G. There you go. And I hate to say it, Randy, because I know I'm inviting it. But uh, right now, these early days, my inbox is weirdly empty. Weirdly quiet, So I'm excited for people to email me (laughs) so that I can uh, engage and uh, get to know them better. You you might not be a year from now. No. (laughs) When all all the junk mail starts coming in, right? Now it's just a quiet one. So anyways, (laughs) thank you again, my friend. Uh, I look forward to uh, to catching up the next time and uh, good luck in everything. We will be watching and excited to see what's next. I really appreciate the opportunity. 
before we go, just a just a few things. Make sure to check out our sponsor, PSCU, and learn more about PSCU TV. They're a longtime partner of CUinsight.com, just like uses uh, and the podcast. And I'm grateful for their support to allow me to have this much fun doing what I do. My guess is Mr. Brian Scott is also having a blast hosting PSCU TV, too. Please also subscribe to the CU Insight experience on your favorite podcast player. We're on them all. And if you're looking for a book mentioned on the show, like the one Heather mentioned, a quick Google of the CU Insight Experience podcast book list, and you can have your next read on its way from Amazon or Audible or however you do it. Uh, last but certainly not least, I want to thank all of you for listening. Y'all rock, and I appreciate you all. Be well, friends. <laughs>